because the literal No Foolin' Monsters is clearly a band, but literal No Foolin' Monster, Monster is probably the album. It's probably, yeah, it's got to be an album, I think. Yeah. Literal No Foolin' Monster. But the literal No Foolin' Monsters. Oh, sure. Or even, or even the literal No Foolin' Monster, one word, I think, mm. is still a B- band. Band. Yeah. Literal No Foolin' Monster. Even a, maybe, album. yeah, a literal No Foolin' Monster band, which, because you said, mm-hmm. they become a literal No Foolin' Monster. But without the uh, I believe it's an album. Now on Kickstarter. <laughs> My name is Will Hindmarch. I'm a writer, narrative designer, graphic designer, and game designer. My name is Nathan Pletta. I'm a game designer, self-publisher, and graphic artist. Okay, so Nathan, you're the GM of this podcast. What's the adventure this time? So you're before the entrance to a cave. Cool. The cave of game master responsibilities and... Authorities? Yes. See how I tossed that to you and you contributed back into the ongoing narrative? Yeah. That is one of the many ways in which we can split up the idea of the GM from what the GM does in the game and how to use those divisions in your design process. Nathan, what was the first game that you played either by design or by actual happenstance that had more than one GM or was GM full? As a formal feature of play? Not necessarily. If we're not pinning it down to as a specific designed feature of play, right. it's a different answer. Right. Which I think is probably where you're going, right? Yeah. Um, but I'd say probably first game that I played that did it, though it's not as called out as a GM thing, was Inspectors, where when you succeed at rolls, you say what happens. And when you fail at rolls, the GM says what happens. And what it does in that game is it, is it gives the players the narrative authority to say, oh, this is what I think is happening in this mystery. Because the mystery is not predefined. The mystery is seeded you know, with whatever setup the GM throws at you. And then when you do, when your character does well, that lets you be like, oh, this is the solution or this is the clue or this is actually the bad guy or the ghosts are actually, you know, generated by the Phantasmigator 3000. They're not spirits from hell or (laughs) whatever, right? So that's uh, GM full in the sense that it's not formally like you are all going to be GMs in this game, mm-hmm. but the way the dice work, uh, you will often have what was traditionally considered, scare quotes, GM authority over what happens throughout the course of play. Did you share GM authority when you were running games prior to Inspectors in ways that were kind of less formal? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like in D&D where, the, where players can create backgrounds or... Because um, I, I did a thing for a long time without really thinking about it. Where uh, in D and D, I have a custom to the that I would I didn't realize how much I did it to my players pointed it out to me that when they land the killing blow on a monster, I say so what happens? So what is it? So is mm. it you know? So what do you do? Mm-hmm. As opposed to you know me saying its armor cracks or you know grunts mm-hmm. and staggers back or whatever, I go okay, well it's yours now. That that this creature, this scene, this moment where the dragon is slain belongs to you and your character. Mm. What is what do the rest of us see? Yeah, I didn't really have like a. Uh context for for doing that kind of stuff intentionally and i don't remember if i did Mm -hmm. i mean i can clearly remember sometimes where i like as a high school gm just totally blocked players from stuff they did want to do because (laughs) that was interfering with my plot or whatever Mm. but the other way probably i don't know i don't remember anything particularly clearly i mean i always wanted like 
the players to have like some sense of connection to other people in the setting right mm-hmm. so uh, so there would be like how do you know this person or you know someone in this village who is it like that kind of thing yeah but it, it never really ended up affecting the course of play very much until i started playing more games that demanded a more robust way of of integrating what everyone wants to see and play into the game right. itself right so the game that really like blew this apart for me formally uh was polaris oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> for those listening at home we both just did big eyes and and nodding across the table at each other but yeah so in that game everyone has their their kind of fey at the end of the earth eternal winter character and you're playing a tragedy and uh when it's my turn you're playing kind of a counterforce to my character the uh, uh misbegotten or something like yeah, that something like that and then the other players there's theoretically four players the other two players are playing the uh moons if i remember right you know and then when it goes to your turn if i'm sitting across the table from you then i'm your misbegotten and i'm going to be the moons for the other players when it's their turn right and those are all different levels of interaction right so that has the um the kind of rotating it's not even there because there isn't a gm right but it has a rotating kind of protagonist antagonist relationship and then two influencers perpendicular to it right yeah yeah you, so you can kind of split the the terminology in a lot of ways right like there's the for a long time we kind of talked about the idea of gm full versus gm lists mm-hmm. and how those are kind of not necessarily the same and there's like rotating gm which is what i embrace in Annalise, where like when you're the scene guide like you're the gm for that fate that turn of play when you're not the scene guide you're not though you do you still have some ways to influence the the, the ongoing fiction and that was like pretty much just stolen straight from polaris because i really because <laughs> i really like how that worked in that game where yeah in, in polaris it's very formal yeah I, I, like I, down to seating position yeah yeah whereas with like um so like i was aware of the notion of gmless games and of i mean i played a couple but but for me that i have a special place in my heart for the term gm full because I coined it for myself long after it had been coined, right? Like I hadn't heard it, mm-hmm. but it was after playing Fiasco for the very first time, mm-hmm. which was, I think it was a great table. It was a set of great players. And it was, you know, that somebody told me Fiasco was GMless. And this was Fiasco was brand new. I think it might've been, the, it was the summer that essentially that it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, we're all GMs, right? And it's an, I'm sure, I mean, I'm not, it's an obvious riff on the notion of the gemless game to, yeah. to do that but i distinctly remember and then thinking over time i've had a very different relationship with the idea of not just how power is shared or distributed but from whence it emanates at the table where the gm mm-hmm. authority because i've historically been sharing a lot of gm power with my players sharing a lot of that job and offering it out but it had always emanated from the traditional dm role which was to say you get your chance to steer the ship when it is handed to you right and there isn't, and there wasn't a form because D and D doesn't have a formalized DM sharing kind of thing. I'd played World of Darkness campaigns that had multiple storytellers, mm-hmm. but it was like tonight you're the storyteller, and next week I'm the storyteller. Mm-hmm. Or when vampires are involved, it's me, and when werewolves are involved, it's you, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so the turf was different, and to me, it's one of the the fascinating breakthroughs in the technology, essentially, which is only sometimes actually mechanical. More often, it's procedural, or more mm-hmm. often, it's systemic. Is that the the shift in some ways from GM division and GM sharing and narrative authority by game as opposed to by campaign or by night or by GMs in question. Because mm-hmm. to me, it used to be essentially it was a playcraft thing. Right. And it's moved, not only, I mean, it's expanded, I should say, it's expanded into design so that certain games like only work if you 
share, if you distribute the authority in just this way. Right. So I, I think it's fair to say that you can take the vast majority of games and if they're a solo GM'd game, play it GM-less effectively. And I'm sure, and for many rotating or, or shared GMing games, it might be more difficult to put that genie back and say no in this game. Like if you're right. playing Shooting the Moon, which is a three-player uh, romantic triangle game, it's, and that's a, a, a GM-less game. It's hard to say no. There's just the one person of the three of us that's going to make all of these decisions that before the three of us all were responsible for making. Mm-hmm. And that's like how the game works. Like it, it depends on the interplay of the three people as opposed to depending on the interplay of one person doing X amount of things and the other two people doing Y amount of things. Right. I guess I just bring that up both because that is an interesting thought that just occurred to me. Uh, how I think the arrow is not necessarily parallel going going back and forth between uh-huh. the two kind of versions but also because when we talk about it what gms do and talking about gmless game or, or a gm full game a gm is just a, a package of responsibilities and authorities and authorities yes yeah. yes so uh there is a whole basket of things procedural mechanical uh narrative mm-hmm. organizational right uh logistical like all of these things that can all sit in in the hands of one person but don't have to and um they don't need to be connected together and sit with like one person and that extends from the the notion of the person who's running the game is also hosting the game Mm -hmm. right like clearly that doesn't have to be true but can you make the the host a specific person and I think Jason Morningstar has started doing that in some of his games where he calls out someone to be as a facilitator who's hosting this game, like who's printing out the sheets and telling everyone, hey, this is how this game works and that kind of thing, as opposed to the person who may be introducing fictional uh, antagonism. Mm -hmm. And that's more of a traditional GM role versus the people who are playing individual characters. So it can be split at a lot of levels. Right. Yeah. A lot of the the traditional or customary or long-held ties between jobs or authorities and responsibilities mm-hmm. can be detached and retied in different ways. Like the, one of the examples I'm thinking here is where you imagine if you have the, the, the facilitator, the host, and the antagonist, right, as three different roles, where the facilitator is, look, I bought the game. I, I read it. I will teach it. Mm-hmm. The host, you know, provides a table and snacks, mm-hmm. and the antagonists are other player roles, right? These, this, that's not revolutionary, but it's a different way of taking those same right. three things we just saw and, and still splitting them up and giving them names so we understand how they're separate. Yeah, because, um, again, informally, there's there's often, like, you know, the, the player who knows the rules. In my group, Sally is the one who actually, you know, gets really into reading the book. And even though I'm running the game, I'm like, oh, I actually don't know what we do in this situation. Hey, Sally, what's the rule? Right. You can formalize that and and give one person the responsibility of tracking rules and another person, the responsibility of, of providing fictional momentum um, and another person, the responsibility of coming up with the, 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 the mission that the characters are on yeah. or whatever. So do you remember the traditional breakdown of player to GM to DM dynamics in D and D as laid out in early D and D books mm. where there's a DM mm. Mm-hmm. And then the players come in different categories. There's a caller who mm-hmm. is the person responsible for telling the DM what the players are going to do. And if somebody else speaks to the DM... It doesn't count. It may right? not count, right. Yeah. The mapper, 
mm-hmm. right? Who their map is the map that the players can go off of. And if another player is doodling a map that ends up being more accurate, that doesn't matter because their character isn't mapping or, what, you know, or whatever kind of combinations of things mm-hmm. that I've seen inherited in different tables. I think it's interesting that we started doing that in the hobby on the player side almost immediately. Right. And formally rearranging the, the, the basket of authorities and responsibilities for the GM fairly late to whatever value of late, considering it's really not a very old hobby. But mm. Well, it's an interesting historical generation, right? Because it kind of started with large groups of players. Right. Historically. having be, Checking in with 10 people, this is really difficult. So then you have the one person who's like, no, I'll handle all the chatter while you're rolling dice for your monsters or whatever. Yeah. Right. And then for whatever reasons, tables started kind of standardizing down to lower player counts, right? Like the four to six person table, maybe. Uh, part of that may just be a result of there being more DMs in the world than there were right. when it started. And just more games and yeah. more things that people were interested in. And and people were experimenting with different play styles. Yeah. And more persistent games, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, we're going to play with the same characters through six months to a year of this game versus I'm running, like, come to my house every Saturday and whoever shows up will go in the dungeon. And if you have the same character, great. And if you don't, whatever. So at what point, and this is a completely, it's a partially pedantic and partially pedagogic <laughs> question, but mm-hmm. is how many items from the basket of GMness, which is a and d item, I think, <laughs> have to be assembled for the term GM to be applicable? And especially with the understanding that could be for a roving mm-hmm. GM, like the difference between an antagonist player, a GM. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a million definitions to this, but for you, like, how do you imagine, at what point is a game have multiple GMs versus mm-hmm. just a GM and then players who have more authority. Cause like in inspectors, right. There's still obviously the GM player divide. Yeah. And then in fiasco, everybody has the same level of responsibility, right? Just at different moments sort of, mm-hmm. but there are lots of spaces in between those games. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it comes down to where does the antagonism come from? Like that really is the core question for me when I'm thinking about how are the different player roles split up? Mm-hmm. It kind of comes down to, uh, yeah, there's antagonism and also the question of how much collaboration do I want versus how much do I, do I want someone to be able to invest in, in what they want to see happen, uh, kind of in a vision. Those are, those are two metrics that I've been thinking about more because in my experience, like a, like a fiasco, like a fully, pretty much a fully collaborative mm-hmm. kind of game, like it really, really sings when the people when the people are, are, are good at playing together, right? Like the, the personal dynamic is really important. And I played games of fiasco with people where we didn't really click and the game was kind of, eh, yeah, you know, versus on the other end of that spectrum, you know, you have the kind of maybe the call of Cthulhu. Like here is this grand, my grand vision for this mystery and this horror scenario. And you're kind of along for the ride because part of the, joy of the game as a player is is discovering this this vision right right and that will not work in a collaborative narrative sharing kind of environment i mean there's i'm sure there's aspects to that kind of game challenge extended (laughs) let me let me offer that challenge up to anyone who would like to take it so i i guess i won't say it cannot work but i feel like it is difficult to work certainly by volume and frequency it has not it works well, I, it is both less tested and less successful. Right. Yeah. So, for example, my I, at some point in my design career, 
I've tipped over from from designing games, assuming there's a GM, to designing games until I decide there needs to be a GM. Interesting. Which is a which was a really interesting realization for me because I'd never considered myself like, oh yeah, I'm into GMless games or whatever because that's that's kind of a, a a basket of like attributes that people sometimes are like, that's just not the kind of game I like to play or mm-hmm. whatever. But yeah, and that so when once I realized that that's what I was doing, so what so what takes a game from not needing a GM to needing one? Because like I trust people to be really to, to be to be good at making their own fun. A lot of my games are are going to work best with people who play games and have decent skills at doing things like coming up with interesting things for them to do and for each other to interact with and stuff like that. So I don't feel like I need a GM to be there to make the fun happen for everyone. Right. But what I do need a GM, an individual GM figure to do is to create continuity, I think. Like having that continuity of vision is really important um, for some games and especially a longer running game, like a multi, you know, like a multi-session game. So like there is a GM in Worldwide Wrestling, not just because it's descended from a game that has a GM, but also because without a person being like, no, these are the, and it's very, that one's a little weird because your, your, your plan is always going to change. Like it has to change just how that game works, but you still need to have one. You need something to bounce off of. You can't just, otherwise people are just throwing, just, just, just pitching into the void, right? You need right. a wall for those squash balls to bounce back off of. Uh, and so the GM kind of creates the wall while in like my micro games to date don't have a GM because they're kind of oriented towards people who I think are already good at, at making stuff up. And then they're just tools for making up certain things that they wouldn't make up otherwise. Right. I say just, but they, you know, that's what I'm intending to do. What about you, Will? Well, what I was thinking just then was the, um, the notion of, I know that I tend to assume a GM when I started design, mm. unless I specifically set out to say, I want to design something GM-less like with Odyssey. Mm. But for example, I have a kind of half done floating around out there design, which in which the GM can exist, but is not essential, mm-hmm. which started off as, a, as reactive to the design and then became a bullet point, became a selling point mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a soft design goal. I can shed it if necessary. But the idea being that, the GM is kind of responsible for, like you say, continuity and and uh, uh, for for a certain amount of tonal editing, mm-hmm. which yeah. is to say to help to to be the wide angle lens, so that even though the players might say stuff that's silly, which is fine, right? Because they're brainstorming, they're they're shooting ideas around and everything. Mm-hmm. The GM is the one who can say, or not, I mean, they can all say it, but the GM's kind of it's more on the hook to say. Um, so, which of these things that we just said actually came out of your character's mouths? Like mm-hmm. what is actually like, so to help us maintain the, the, the spooky or the adventurous or the whatever mood, right? right? So in some ways, that's where I think of, even though so often the metaphor has been that the, that the GM is a narrator, which I think is fine to a point because it has a separation from the players, mm-hmm. from the other players as saying, I just see what happens and state it in mm-hmm. a way that is honest or um, aptly dishonest for our, because we all hurt each other, mm-hmm. but I'm stating it for a kind of imaginary audience, which is just a way of encapsulating and cementing what was done. Right. But in games where you hear about um, the the GM as a director in a filmic sense, in mm-hmm. a cinematic sense, I've always been very suspicious of that. Not because I don't think it can be done well, because there are games where that do do it well, but as much as I don't think it, it represents either what the GM is a- actually ends up doing at the table, mm-hmm. or it doesn't represent what a director actually does in a film. Mm-hmm. Which is to say that, if the, if the old adage is true that most of what a director does in a film is answer questions, that people show up with questions and say, which of these belts should the hero wear? Mm-hmm. 
right? Which of these knives is is apt for our heroine? Um, and the GM or the director points at one and says, oh, that one, go with that one, go with that one, all right? And they, they're, they're creating an, a, an environment in which lots of apt possibilities are presented and then they can combine them in a way that, that has a certain authorship. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of other ways of directing, but that's just one of the examples, right? That suggests the, the director has, has veto power and responsibility for the thing if it fails. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not what a GM does, or it's not the only thing a GM does. Right? Right. So there, yeah. there are games where that's absolutely true, but that's not necessarily in a lot of the games I think that associate or in which I see people write in blogs and such about the GM as director, mm-hmm. right? Because like the GM, the director doesn't necessarily show up with the synopsis of a screenplay and say, mm-hmm. we're going to be playing this. There's so many ways in which the metaphor goes off the rails. And so the example to me yeah. where it works is the idea that the, 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 the GM is in many ways the editor mm-hmm. in a filmic sense and that mm-hmm. the players generate the dailies and write the script and make the decisions about which knife the character will use, which belt they will wear. And then the GM's job is to make sure that all of this material that is being generated by the crew and the cast and everybody with the help of the director, which is kind of a distributed role amongst the players, mm-hmm. hangs together in a way that makes some kind of narrative sense. Yeah. Including deciding which of the three things that was just said, what order they happen in so that they mm-hmm. have the most powerful dramatic punch and that kind of thing. Helping that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one, I mean, one of the things that I know I've developed as a GM skill for games where I am GMing is, is doing that kind of editing and pacing and saying okay that's all great let's go here and resolve that first right and then we'll see this and then you know because like i have a a sense of what i think will be most dramatic or what i think will have the most impact on later stuff so Mm -hmm. you don't want to do it backwards right like oh i thought that this would affect that or why didn't we if we resolved this first then i would have made this different decision exactly um, and that kind of thing so I think as a as a matter of like GM skill, that's absolutely and that and that falls I think a lot do. on the fact that the GM's job the GM while all the players are thinking about what to say and saying it, the GM can be listening to the players and then arranging what they said in a pleasing mm-hmm. format. Yeah, there's a the amount of investment and mental juice going into I want this for this character versus I want to create a coherent a coherent experience among all of these characters. Like it is worth separating that into two different people because it is difficult to advocate for a character and create antagonism for someone else's character and also be doing that kind of like what what of all the things that just got contributed actually enters the fiction. Right. And what and and what was kind of table chatter or what was oh that actually wasn't as cool, maybe was, we'll do that. Yeah, pitched and and rejected right. or pitched and withdrawn right. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So and I think that's one very good reason why you have a single called out gm because when that's your job then you can devote all of your attention to it which is great right now let me let me ask you a two-pronged question that takes that in two different directions Mm -hmm. one of them is that so that for that game that has the the non-essential gm that i'm thinking about that 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 is whatever up on the bench in the workshop somewhere um the idea behind that game is not that the gm is not essential as it was put to me when i when somebody said well why is there a gm if they're so unimportant and my answer was because one of the things that as a hobby rpgs have not dealt with is how can we can we still play if the gm is the character is the player who can't make it that week Mm, and mm -hmm. this game is designed to address that with yes you can still play yeah like you it'll be might be a little side questy or it might be you know Mm. exploring a space and it wouldn't affect the for god's sakes the word meta plot or whatever the overarching story but the fact is that if sally the gm can't make it one week that doesn't mean that that everything grinds to a halt right we just have a scene back at the 
insomniac fighter pilot barracks instead the of hangar, yeah. yeah instead of actually flying or whatever right yeah we're yeah we're, we're flying sorties against random opponents and we all know how that works so we're all trained mm-hmm. we're all we're all licensed <laughs> right. to do certain things yeah um even though the 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 gm is not present now so there's that which is in, which is one notion again of, of the gm role as essential versus valuable which is not always mm-hmm. the same thing right it's yeah, both valuable yeah. but not necessarily yeah which i think just quickly gets back to what i was saying about how it's easier to break up a GM game and mm-hmm. make a GM list because all those roles are valuable, but they're not necessarily essential that they're all in one person. Right. Right. And I, I, well, yeah, I think it also has to do with the fact that when we break up the GM role, we often break it up into either many identical roles, in which case missing a mm-hmm. player doesn't matter, like in Fiasco, where when we sit down to play, if we're missing somebody, right, they're just not playing they're this week. They're just not there. Yeah. yeah. So we're all equally equipped. Mm-hmm. But if you break it up into three roles where you have three different sort of quasi-GMs, and the game needs four players, and one of those people can't make it, you go, well, we literally can't play because we're missing right. the fate of luck or whatever. Mm-hmm. The, the other question, though, is now what happens if you go back and you look at Fiasco through part of this lens, which is that, and to a certain extent, everybody has the same narrative authority in Fiasco. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not the same, but equally weighted, right? That everybody has a certain GM voice. But as the star of the scene, the, the subject of the scene moves around, mm-hmm. there is at any given moment, essentially, X number of players ganging up on one player. Right, yeah. Which creates a, uh, uh, or I've seen it, you can have it where it's completely collaborative. I've seen it where you have one person who is who, who runs the table mm-hmm. just by de facto. They either know the rules or that's they just yeah. have a personality that does that or yeah. whatever it is. And I've seen the ones where it's a roving band of people ganging up on each other, which mm-hmm. sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. Yeah. So for all that we talk about, or, by we I just mean the hobby, mm-hmm. as much as we ask was regarded as a GMless game or a game of, of equal, of GM-fullness. Yeah. It's actually also it's also a roving GM game. Mm. It's just that there are at any given time two or three people sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the one of the pitfalls of a GMless or GM full or distributed GM um, game is that you no longer have a textual fallback for who gets to talk when sometimes, mm-hmm. and you end up having those like more personal level, social level things be what pushes play along even if technically we all have the same amount of authority. Right. But Jim knows the game. So when he said, and you see this all the time with um, running or facilitating a GMless game at a convention or teaching a GMless game, if you're the person who brings it, you end up being the GM. You're the one who knows about the game. So even if others have certain authorities, if you say something about what they're saying, Mm -hmm. everyone goes, oh, that must overrule this contribution because you're the person in charge even though this game doesn't have a person who's in charge in that way right right you're kind of representative of of the game (laughs) yeah yeah you're the bearer of of the word yeah um and that's just a natural social like i don't know how this works and you do and then sometimes that can end up making the game not work quite as well like when i sometimes when i uh when i have annalise at like a convention or something i don't play i just facilitate right i just do rule stuff I don't make a character, even though, you know, it is GMless or whatever. Uh, because then I think it gives a, a more robust version of the game to the people who are playing. Because if I am playing, then I end up being the go-to person anyway. So then I'm trying to play my character and also do all the rule stuff. And then I end up not contributing as much fictionally. It also doesn't put anybody in the position of having to, if you will, play opposite you. 
at that natural power imbalance, right? Mm -hmm. you, you, they can turn and consult you, but you have this position that is kind of outside or above. I don't want to say above really, but right, but kind of floating beyond the game. Right. That is, like you said, the voice of the text of the voice of the game. Right. Without me having to be put on the spot of, well, now I'm playing a scene with Nathan, mm -hmm. and he designed this damn thing, and I don't. It's my first time playing. Yeah, whatever, I don't yeah. want to get this wrong or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Which is. I, I've done. Um, <laughs> I'm humans. Weird. Humans are strange. Oh, humans. Well, I, I, I used to, uh, when we were running uh, fiasco tables at Games on Demand so often, mm -hmm. um, it would frequently get to the point where we'd have so many fiasco players that the best thing to do was to just have some of us not, you know, like you say, facilitate instead of play. It's because you don't want to have too many players in one game of fiasco. Mm. And I've seen it happen where essentially the, the, I'm asked, so what do we do if or what do we do when? And mm -hmm. that's a short version sometimes of the question, how do we deal with this so that we don't have to spend 20 minutes talking about it? Mm -hmm. And that's the, what they're turning the facilitator to do. Mm -hmm. And a lot of games have that where they're just like, look, we, we just need a consensus and none of us have enough at stake, right? It's not a matter of me saying, it's not that I don't care how you feel, stranger at this game table. It's that I don't want to have to, I'm willing to just go along with whatever decision somebody makes but as long as it's a happy, healthy decision because I don't want to have to spend 20 minutes arguing about it mm -hmm. or even just sorting it out happily. Mm -hmm. We just want it to happen so we can keep going. That's what a facilitator whether it's a GM or not, whether it's a, whether they're in the game or not in the game can do. And so there are so many circumstances, I think, where mm -hmm. games benefit from that role, even though the design doesn't act, even though the design may not. A formulation that I find really helpful is uh, where does the buck stop mm -hmm. with certain decisions or contributions or whatever. In some games, like the buck always stops with the GM. Like, you can talk all you want, and then everyone turns and looks at the GM, and they say, this is what happens. Right. And then in some games, if it's your character, then the buck stops with you, but everything else, the buck stops with someone else. Right. Or if you're using this particular skill, or if you're using this set of powers, then the buck stops stops with you. But if That's I'm using the powers, then it stops with me, and you have to do what I'm saying or whatever right yeah that's a great because i i tend to use the term veto power for that which is not mm -hmm. which i think is not right but it's, it's what similar I do. it's similar well I mean, those can yeah, both it's... exist in a, in a more antagonistic game where it's more a player you know players working against each other game right you may have the buck stops with the player but then the other player has veto power over certain contributions mm -hmm. so that you know you end up not getting into like escalation crazy escalations or like which is uncomfortable territory or uncomfortable or territory yeah like the um, the X card. I was just going to say. Right. It's kind of a, a distributed veto that gives everyone a certain, no, let's, let's, let's not deal with that power. And that is not a GM thing. That's a, right. everyone's on the same level with that. And in fact, I feel like in many ways, right, that it emerged or became standardized, maybe I should say, because of GMless games, mm -hmm. where, where the shared authority means that means everybody has, equal, has an equal ability to accidentally or intentionally make somebody else uncomfortable. Right. There's no one to look to and be like, Hey, is that is this okay? And that's what a GM often does, either literally or just the the socially. Is there the person who says yes, that's okay? No, that's not okay. Right. Asking yourself during design, like you say, uh, do I need a GM at this stage or at this stage or at this stage? Does a GM does the need for a GM become apparent? Or is the GM becoming superfluous? Or how to what extent is it distributed? All these sorts of questions. But one of those other similar questions is. Is there a facilitator? And if so, like, like if the game doesn't actually have that role, if it's not a game that specifically says it has a facilitator, I think it's important for a designer to consider what will happen, not just when they're teaching the game, but when somebody else is teaching the game, 
mm-hmm. and what how the game changes under the I don't even want to I mean it's I could I could say stress but I, what I guess I mean is how flexible or pliant it is in the situation where it has to be bent a little bit to fit through the door the first time into a new game room mm-hmm. right where it's like so if this game only works when everybody knows what they're doing how are you going to get them to that point yeah like how do you on ramp into the game yeah do you have some kind of teacher scenario kind of thing where it's like this is you know use these procedures first and once you're comfortable with them then move on to these procedures yeah like i wonder if that there's kind of thing. something in in new rpgs in for new players i think there might be a real value because one i think gmless games have been great for getting players into the game because everybody comes in at a shared stake and with a similar responsibility but i also think that they often do get taught by somebody who's already into them to some extent yeah. or watches mm-hmm. the you know, episode on, on tabletop or something, mm-hmm. which is great. Right. But that has the thing where there's still, that's kind of part of the oral tradition. That's part of the thing where somebody who yeah. knows tells somebody who doesn't know. Absolutely. As opposed to a table of four people who have never done this before all figuring it out. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if there isn't or shouldn't be games where there's a GM for the first session of the first two sessions. And then that power explodes and, huh. the, and gets shared over the yeah. table. Right. So it's like, and then um, my first thought, because I'd I have a, that, that occasional GM game I'm talking about, could benefit from this is the idea where there's a gm at the beginning and a gm at the end and in the middle it's all gm full hmm, yeah so that's a shape long term now mm-hmm. that i'm really just from this conversation mm-hmm. really curious about i have a game a game i'm working on now where when you complete an arc of play uh you kill a monster um and then and and, and potentially someone's character can become a new monster and then when that happens they become the gm is, is the rule Oh, cool. I mean, it's a soft rule in that, like, if they don't want to GM, there's no, like, they don't have to. They can just make a new character or whatever. But that's the, the, the design intention is that, like, we play, and then when your character finally gives in to their, you know, terrible perversity and turns into a literal no fool and monster, well, <laughs> then you get the GM, and your monster is now our monster hunting target and i the former gm get to create a character to join the right the party and so that's a like a longer term thing where it splits dynamically based on the events of play and part of the the idea with that is also hopefully by the time a player who has never gm'd like plays the game and sees how it works and then is put in the position of hey do you want to gm this now because you right. made a monster maybe then that's a maybe that's a way to get someone to be like oh maybe i'll give this a shot because i know the game i know these players already i already I, know I, the dynamics i know i don't have to do it for six months <laughs> i don't have to do it for six months right like that's one of the uh you know one of one of the nice like one of the outlying like like you say a soft goal where like that would be nice if that's what ends up happening thanks for listening to the design games podcast if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating or review on your pod listening apparatus of choice. Visit designgamespodcast.com to leave questions, like episodes, and click the heart button on anything on that page that you find delightful. You can find Will on Patreon at patreon.com wordwill. And you can find Nathan on Patreon at patreon.com slash ndpauletta. What do people even say at the end of a podcast? What happens if it just... <laughs>